Hi, I'm Chantel Walker, CEO of Read Autism Services. I'm Jen Faust, Director of Operations. Thanks for tuning in to Changemakers in Autism. We're joined today by John Donvan and Karen Zucker, co-producers of In a Different Key. Hi, everybody. We're here today joined by Karen Zucker and John Donvin, um, co-producers and filmmakers of a groundbreaking documentary, In a Different Key. And Karen and John, I'm so, we're so excited that we have been able to get you here and to um, spend some time with you. I think you know how much we love, love, love this film. And... Um, Will you take a few minutes to just introduce yourselves um, for our audience? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having us. And it's good to see you both again after it's been a while since our screening with you all, uh, Fareed. Um, I'm Karen Zucker. I'm a, a producer, journalist, and the director of the film In a Different Key, um, based on um, our our book, In a Different Key, The Story of Autism, and um John and I started covering autism about 25 <clears throat> years ago when we were at ABC News. And I think my story has just been told by Karen, so <laughs> that's how we ended up here. So how did you, I'm actually curious about the, the start of your working relationship. I don't know if we know this story, but how did you oh. guys start yeah. to work together and decide that you wanted to sort of focus on autism and, and, and do what you've done to date? So Karen and I um, were both working at ABC in the 1990s, um, and um, um, I, I, I was, as you said, a correspondent. I was on camera, and Karen was a producer behind the scenes. And at ABC, every day you're paired with a different producer, paired with a different correspondent, depending on the story. But we found that, you know, we had a kind of chemistry when we were working together, so we enjoyed working together. Um, and then um, in 90, 1997, Karen's son, Mickey, was diagnosed with autism. And at that point, Karen, she can tell this part more, but I'll just jump into it quickly. Karen decided she wanted to use the platform of ABC News um, and her ability to get information um, to use, um, to, to start to do stories about autism uh, and putting those on the air at a time when there was very, very little reporting um, about autism in the news in general. And she wanted somebody to be her her on-camera and writing partner in that, and she asked me to do that. I, I have a brother-in-law with autism, so I had a not as direct a connection as she did, but um, so, you know, just based on the fact that we got along well, she asked well, not me exactly. if That's I would... Not, uh, it wasn't that we got along well. I didn't know that he had a brother-in-law uh, with autism, but I did know that he was, you know, the smartest and uh, the best storyteller at ABC News, and I thought if I could... If if I could if I could kidnap him for twenty five years, that I would, <laughs> and I did. <laughs> we we did a a story for Nightline. <clears throat> I think our first big one was in the year two thousand. We did a half hour special for Nightline, and then over the next, uh, then we approached ABC and said, "How about turning this into a regular beat?" And they said, "Sure." And so there for a time, for about five or six, seven years, there was a program branded on on the evening news called Echoes of Autism, which was us doing a range of, st what we didn't want to do in those days was what, what you did see on the news from time to time were two kinds of stories about autism. They were either savant stories or stories mm -hmm. about some sort of miracle cure, some drug or 
therapy or something that was supposedly, you know, we, that would cure autism. Your child wouldn't have autism anymore. And um, that was even before that whole concept was offensive. But it was also wrong because, of course, none of these things worked. Um, and we wanted to do something that was much more serious and grounded, and that was to tell the stories of um, how, what, what actual therapies there were, how they worked, what they cost, uh, how people could get, families could get access to them about things like, um, um, you know, we examined the whole controversy over vaccines and autism and we, you know, reported that it wasn't there. We, we worked on sto real life stories about um, uh, aut women, uh, autistic women uh, who were undercounted. We did stories about siblings of people with autism. Uh, we did stories about romance and autism and, and sexuality and autism. We did stories about um, ad uh, adults with autism because in, back in the early 2000s, everything was about children. Nobody was talking mm -hmm. about adults with autism. So we wanted to look at, uh, to, to take our lens to the real aspects of, of the lives of people on the spectrum and do it in serious and ways that we thought would also, number one, help families uh, who had um, a member, uh, an individual who was autistic in the family or that person themselves, you know, get information. And number two, to kind of educate the rest of the public about what autism was all about. I didn't know that that was your show. I, I, I had forgotten that. So thank you for sharing that with yeah, us. Our very first show, sure. actually, um, with, with John said on Nightline, was a half-hour show on ABA. Um, and it was it was showing that, you know, the in fact the spectrum of ABA and its success or 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 great success or less success but why it was so important what were you seeing um being reported in the 90s like nothing right and how has that evolved what do you see today well what's interesting about that is it's done you know sort of a complete shift so now you know the in the early days it was the only thing that you're you know in terms of the media was um films like Rain Man. And so everybody thought that that was autism. And um, today, most of the shows that you see are, are programs like The Good Doctor and Atypical and programs where people are mm -hmm. leading independent, self-sufficient um, lives, but are a little bit quirky. And um, so we feel like the pendulum has shifted all the way in the other direction um, than it had been. And that it's sort of important, which is why we, why our film has the entire breadth of the spectrum, is that the spectrum is so broad that there are people who have much more profound um, autism than those who can um, lead independent lives and have families, but also struggle with the, you know, the, the, the social difficulties of being autistic. So let's talk about the film. What led mm -hmm. you to look for the first person diagnosed with autism? We wanted to look at the history of the diagnosis um, because we had the sense as we were doing all of these stories in the early 2000s that, and we would meet especially parents who had been, um, who were older and, um, and we would, you know, there were a few uh, stories we did about adults with autism and we met those individuals, but we also met their parents who would share with us, you know, it's, it was really, really a lot more challenging 20 years ago. But they're talking about the 80s or back in the 70s and even to the 60s. And and we we were asking them, you know, like what was going on? And, and they started to talk about such a such a different era um, that we knew nothing about. And so we thought, well, what what happened back then and what caused the change? What why why were things so bad and why did they get better? And we um, kind of became aware that there was an untold civil rights story about um 
the the change in attitudes towards people on the spectrum and their rights, their legal rights, their rights to education, uh, how to include them, um, how, how to make an inclusive world for them, uh, starting with schools, but in other ways. And we said, look, let's um, let's delve into that history and tell that story. And then when we just as um, in terms of constructing a story, uh, and then just in telling that story, we thought, well, what would be a good way to, to go to the beginning? What would be the beginning? And um, we knew that the diagnosis was really not that old in terms of a concept that it only went back to 1943 um, because there's there's published literature on that. There was an article published in 1943 by a doctor at Johns Hopkins named Leo Connor, who was the world's leading child psychiatrist at the time. And he published an article in 1943 in which he said that he was seeing a group of children who had a diagnosis that needed a, its own, uh, that a group of children that no diagnosis really fit be, their behaviors were were that they were um they had different way that they communicated with people and their use of language was different and their their interaction with uh society was different and he said there's no um diagnosis that quite fits them so i'm there is a diagnosis and i'm going to base it on on them and 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 who they are and how um they're behaving and, and communicating. So he wrote about 11 children and he said the, the diagnosis he basically called it what we now know as autism. So this was like the birth of autism in the medical literature in 1943 and he described his, these 11 children but there was one kid, one little boy that really, really got his attention and he wrote most of the article about and it turned out that he stayed in touch with this boy for many, many years because he was so, he so saw him as like the case that defined autism for him. And he actually called him case number one. And he said his name is Donald. And we said, well, case number one in the first article that describes autism, that's the beginning of the story. Let's go find that guy if he's still out there. And so we had kind of had heard that he was out there. And we it took a little bit of work to, to track him down. But in, in 2007, um, we thought we had his phone number. We thought we knew his town, a little town in Mississippi called Forest, and Karen dialed the number, and she heard an answering machine saying, um, the, the, the message was something like, hi, everybody, happy uh, Christmas, happy spring, happy next year, happy 2007, and Karen was the one who made the call, and <laughs> she, like, she, called, she called me up and said, <laughs> she said, I have a kid with autism. <laughs> No further confirmation required. <laughs> but we didn't just show up on his doorstep, um, which, mm -hmm. you know, nor, you know, lot, as journalists, that often happens at, if you're sitting at home and you become a news story. We felt really strongly that he'd lived a very private life. In fact, we would later learn that he didn't, the town didn't even know he had autism um, until we came into their lives. Um, but we, what we did learn really, really early on was when we went to um, ask permission, essentially, to come meet Donald. We, we reached out to his brother and some family friends, and and they said um, that that they would introduce us to Donald, but if that we if we messed with them in any way, they would hunt us down and get us. And they meant it. They really did. It was clear in the in the film how the town. You know, what did they say? He's our Don. He's just our Don, mm -hmm. or something like that. He's you know, our guy. Were, yeah. He's yeah. our mm -hmm. guy. Yeah. Um, I I f I feel like I felt a little wrung out after I watched the whole film because 
I, there was every emotion and it was like an up and down sort of situation. And, um, some scenes were very difficult to watch, very Mm -hmm. painful. And, um, to think that mothers were told that it was their fault, uh, like, like we don't have enough mm-hmm. going on, you know. Right. Like mothers, it was their fault that their children had mm-hmm. <laughs> had autism. Um, you know, it was it was it was difficult to watch, and yet such such a beautiful film. And Karen, it, for you in particular, I'm so curious what the emotional experience felt like for you producing this first the book and then and then the the film, um, being so close and having this, you know, your your own family sort of featured, which I know by knowing you is not your comfort zone. Um, so how did you feel when, when this was sort of out there? Well, it's interesting you say that first the book and the, and the book to me was much like at the work at ABC, which is I, I saw it as a, as a reporter, but that I had like a special insight and I was able to ask questions from my, my personal experience and I think connect to people uh, for the interviews in a different way than somebody who wasn't. I think that, that, that when I spoke to the mother who's, uh, when I interviewed the mother for the book and then for the film, um, Rita Tepper, whose um, son was in Willowbrook, um, she felt safe talking to me. And so, you know, we talked for two and a half hours. Um, so that was, you know, that was a, a gift of being connected to the community. The rest of it was... Um, for me personally, was really challenging because I like to be behind the scenes and um, putting my family out there is was not something I was really interested in doing ever. In fact, the very first story we ever did, John had said, okay, well, we should do this with Mickey, with your son, because this is a great story. Because, um, and I was like, okay, as long as I, you know, I can't, I'm not in it or my family, just Mickey. And mm-hmm. well, that's not a story. <laughs> you know, we, that, um, <laughs> so I had, you know, avoided that, you know, for 25 years. Um, but, um, you know, there were so many, so many stories woven into the film that um, John basically convinced me that it would really help to tell the story, um, to have, you know, uh, me as a journalist and also as a mother and um, and I do agree that Mickey is just such a kind of charming, interesting um, combination of a lot of different things that I think people can relate he to. He is. That he helps tell the story of autism. I like, too, um, that you really felt like, you know, you understood. the As a viewer, <laughs> we felt like we understood um, um, your your deep connection, but also your respect for him as an adult Mm -hmm. man and his independence and the really special bond he has with his sister. And um, I don't know. It's just, it was... I loved it. I yeah. don't have to tell you that. I mean, you know the, I loved the film it. is a roller coaster. I, I think you've probably heard that before, right? It's amazing to see a community stand and protect, embrace, and celebrate Don. But then that's not every community. Right, and there are there's still a lot of problems we need to solve. I'm wondering if anything surprised you on this journey. Did you learn anything new after you know being a parent and being in this world during your research? Any surprises? Well, the the idea that people of color were underdiagnosed 
was something we learned mm-hmm. later in our, you know, in our reporting. And we thought that was really, really important to get into the film. Um, I think that was one of the, the biggest things. Um, I think there's, there's so many different nuances that I didn't have that I now have. And, um, you know, when my, when Mickey was first diagnosed, um, you know, there was autism and there was Asperger's. So there was sort of like a line in the sand, um, with the differences in the community, um, which I thought, I thought helped really clarify things for people. Um, and now it's all mushed together. And I think that that's, you know, that really adds a complexity to, um, society kind of understanding and, um, respecting, you know, all the different differences of all the people who are on the spectrum. Um, so I think the more, just the more reporting on it, and even in the last 25 years, how much everything has changed. Were there unintended, um, results from your sort of, you know, you've been around the country doing premieres of the film. Um, were there positive unintended results that you didn't set out to achieve with the film and yet it has sort of evolved um, over time? I mean, I can think of one. I know. Mm-hmm. It, so I'm curious if you... And it's so funny, I was going to ask that question too. You started with a goal in mind. What else did you get from yeah. this? So, yeah, there have been. Um, I, can, I, I, I can run through a few of them. One of them is that in Lexington, Massachusetts, the chief of police came to the event and um, there's a scene in the film in which a young man is... Uh, uh, taken down by police who think he's doing something suspicious when he wasn't. They just didn't understand his autism, that he couldn't answer questions or look them in the eye. So they they read that as the, he was doing something suspicious. And when they put hands on him, he has sensory issues. So he kind of, you know, didn't like being touched and tried to get away. They took that as trying to escape. They end up tackling him and pepper spraying him in the eyes. And that's a very rough scene to, to watch. And there was a police chief in the, in the audience and... Um, at the end of the conversation, after at the end of the film, there's an audience conversation always. And as the conversation was going on, apparently we weren't there for this one, but apparently two thirds of the way through of the conversation, he stood up and said, I want to address the elephant in the room. It's what happened with that police officer. I didn't like seeing that very much. What can we police understand? How can we do better? And that a conversation then evolved in that room among families and the, the police chief about how to do better. And that was like a f- fantastic outcome. Another time we showed the film, not to an autism, uh, a group that was specializing in autism, but at a film festival in Mississippi. And um, somebody saw Karen on the street the next day and recognized her from the movie. And I was there and he, she walked up and said, I just want you to know, I don't know anything about autism, but I do now. And it's changed my view forever. At another event in um, Nashville, there was a group of people who were invited to watch the film by um, the first um, autism program. And um, there was a man in the back of the theater who had been hired to serve coffee because it was a morning screening. And I got up at one point to take a break from the movie because I've seen it a million times. And I saw that he was standing in the middle of the back of the room in the center aisle, just standing there watching the movie and 25 minutes later, I got up to go out again, and because I'm restless, he was still standing there watching the movie. Two days later, we had another event in a nearby town in Tennessee, and he was in the front row with his entire family. 
and I said to him, uh, to his wife, hi, I, I saw your husband at, I'm pretty sure I saw your husband at our screening. He said, yes, he told me I had to see this movie because he thinks he now understands why our son is different. And oh. that um, um, he had been having a lot of struggles and there were people from Vanderbilt University's autism program there. And I introduced them and they said that they were gonna get him set up right away with an assessment. So that was like a very, very granular example of the kind of change that the film can make by just doing, a, there, there was a family that needed awareness and awareness came to them in a flash and we're, we're hoping something good came of it. So um, we've been at events, we just did one in Iowa where uh, the mayor came, uh, the state legislator came, um, the um, town council came to the event and families were standing up and explaining what they need in terms of the law um, and the kind of support that they need. And afterwards the mayor came up to us and said, I so appreciate you brought bringing this film to our community. I get it now. We all get it. We're we're we're. I think his implication was we're a step better, closer, to knowing that what we need to do is to make this place be like Forest, Mississippi, Donald's hometown that was mm -hmm. so embracing of him. So yes, we're seeing some examples. <laughs> uh, in a really positive way, also, um, we've been uh, talking to the medical community, and. You know, I've personally been really surprised at the responsiveness of sort of acknowledging um, what they don't know that they need to know, and how, and and we've been using the film um, to, you know, in, me in medical communities. We're having a screening at Mayo Clinic next month. We've had one um, where um, students and other people can get um, continuing education credits for being part of the screening. Um, to me, the idea that um, it's so critical, it's, that's a critical, critical thing to the lives of our the people in our community, that the medical profession mm -hmm. understands, you know, our, our kids, our kids who are, are little and then become adults. And um, John has this great, whoops, sorry, this great story about um, the, the doctor that we met who... Um, um, was in the ER, John, if you want to tell that story. In Rochester, New York, we, this was years ago, though. It wasn't with the movie. It was with our book. We did a talk based on our book, and a doctor raised his hand and said, I'm, I, 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 I came somebody invited me to come to this. I don't know much about autism, but I enjoyed your talk, and I'm really feeling bad right now because I'm an ER doctor. And at our hospital, the protocol when somebody with autism comes in is to knock them out give them anesthesia and knock mm -hmm. them out so that the doctors don't have to deal with the challenges that that person might have. And he said, it's, he said, it's just so wrong because I'm supposed to know my patient and I can't know my patient and ask questions and get a response when the patient's knocked out. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, he said he was going to go back and talk to everybody about this protocol. So that's the kind of, kind of thing that we see. As Karen said, we're, we're really excited about bringing the, the film to the medical community. We're excited about bringing it to, um, to police departments you know we were very impressed when we did the event uh, at reed that you had people from the prosecutor's office there well we're still talking to them to that office about having a screening for the police academy um uh, we're we're um beginning to hear from hr departments at businesses which is another you know sector that needs to understand better about employees on the spectrum so we, we really have a lot of hope that the film's going to reach a lot of people and do a lot of good. 
I'm curious, do you think there's still more story to tell? Would you consider a sequel? There's definitely more story to tell. In fact, we eliminate, we had to make cuts from the film. Um, but I'm not sure <laughs> that we have the gas left in the tank to do a sequel. It took five years to do and a lot of fundraising. It was a it was a very long marathon. I know people run multiple marathons, but um, we're not. We haven't. That's not on the drawing board right now. But there are there are definitely the, still stories that John and I talk about wanting to do. Um, I'm just not sure that we will. <laughs> the idea that uh, Forest Mississippi, right? Yes. Forest Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? Did it right? You know, I walked away from the film mm-hmm. thinking it was very clear Don's family was influential. And that led to some of his his success. And yet um, there is a little bit of magic in Forrest mm-hmm. beyond that. So what what is it? I mean, what made that community one where Don could live a, a rich life and an independent life and be accepted for – I mean, you did a very good job of showing us that he um, – has a robust social life, and he um, is very beloved. And and so, I mean, what's the secret? Well, interesting, the the community of Forest, who, you know, we praise for uh, just how, how they all embraced Donald, will say and, and have said many times, it's not us, it's him, um, that, that mm. they didn't do it. And, and you also uh, pointed out that, um, which really does matter, you know, the... The triplets mm-hmm. owned the bank. They were they were they were big figures in the community, and um, you know you weren't necessarily going to um, you know mess with Mary Triplet's son, Donald. And she made mm-hmm. sure at a time when um, you know children were institutionalized, and, and in fact he was momentarily. Um, she kept him at home, and when children you know on the autism spectrum didn't couldn't go to school, it was against the law. To go to to go to school, um, she talked the the school administration to let him in. So he had the opportunity to do so much more. The same thing with employment. Mm-hmm. He w- he could work at the bank and he could make mistakes. He had an incredible opportunity. You could do all the checklists of what we need to make you know lives work for people we care about who have autism. Donald had all of those um, benefits. But it was a small town. I think that at the essence, yeah. it was community. I mean, that's that's what made it work. That you have all those other pieces that are, you know, were really critical to his success. But without the love of the community, you know, none of it would have worked. Yeah, it's. I think the size of the community had a lot to do with it. And, you know, families of people who have disabilities and even very, very challenging disabilities they're they're totally comfortable with the individual on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother-in-law's family, you know, I've I've um, when I first got to know him, um, I didn't know very much about autism. And he the, he lives in Israel. My wife's from Israel, and we would go visit. And the very first time I had a dinner that he attended, because he doesn't live at home, he lives in a community, but comes home every single weekend for dinner on Friday night. Um, I, I I sat. Uh, actually, I think I sat next to him at the first dinner, and he was, you know, he was rocking a lot and flapping his hands and making noises. He doesn't have language, very, very, very little language, and grabbing food from other people's plates. And he was at that time in his forties, 
and I or 30s I I I confess that I didn't know very much about autism and I was uncomfortable at first like what do I do and um and and it took about four minutes it was a big family dinner all my wife's cousins were over it took me about four minutes to, to pick up from them just how incredibly comfortable they were with him and accepting with him that they um you know when he when he was grabbing food off of somebody else's plate they were just totally good with it and they would kind of take their food back and keep talk having a conversation and and put a fork in his hand and help him while while having a conversation with the person on their left side they were doing with him, this him on their right side they were just totally with the flow of who he was and so that was a lesson for me and it was a lesson i had to learn that within families there's total acceptance almost always i think total acceptance of not just the person's disability but with the quirks of their disability and the challenges of their disability and a, and a comfort and an ease well i think that happened in forest because it was small enough that they they saw donald from the age of five was when he came back from the institution that he had been sent to for the rest of his life he was there and they grew up with him and they got used to him and everybody knew everybody in town because it was so small so i think that that kind of early integration and exposure from my personal experience is kind of the key and what part of the film we talk about a program in phoenix the community school where their whole goal is from the age of three in the preschool is to get kids that this the school is built for a mix of kids on the spectrum and kids not on the spectrum so that they just get to know each other as you know this this kid has this kid is is autistic, this kid isn't, this kid's blonde, this kid's redhead, this kid's autistic, this kid's an athlete, this kid's a student, this kid's autistic, this kid's got big ears, this kid's got little ears, this kid's autistic. That 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 autistic part part of difference becomes like not a big deal. And and mm-hmm. they they um get used to it. So um I think that's the secret of Forrest, is that it was small enough for that familiarity to grow and that Donald was there f- for so long from early childhood that something that was the magic. I think, Jen, that you're talking about that happened in Forrest, helped by the fact that his family had a lot of clout. That's something that's really, um, that I've seen in, you know, in my lifetime. I think you both know I have a sister with disabilities and, um, you know, that, that was always sort of a separate thing, you know, in school, it was a Mm -hmm. separate opportunity to engage with, with her class or, you know, and then, so we were coming of age with sort of the mainstreaming and, and this idea that, um, you know, everybody should kind of be together and should be exposed and have a comfort level, um, with people of all different abilities. And now I look at my own children and, you know, yes, they have an aunt that they've grown up with, but they also see kids at, at school and they have a lot of grace, I think, so much more uh, patience and understanding of differences and, and a respect for different abilities because they've lived their whole lives, you know, with, yeah. with that experience. And I think a lot of the, the ignorance in the world comes down to just a lack of, of understanding. And so this idea that you feel uncomfortable in that moment leads you to perhaps do something that is never meant to intentionally be hurtful, but it comes off that way because you're nervous yeah. and mm-hmm. uncertain. So we, we, we made, and we made the film for, for people who like I used to be with my brother-in-law before that dinner to kind of get a crash course mm-hmm. in here's what autism is. Here's who, what, who autistic people are. Here's their challenges. 
here's their successes. Here's how you connect to them. Here's how you have a part in the story. And here's how your decision to be accepting and friendly and natural and roll with their differences can have such a huge, huge impact on their lives. So in an hour, the hour and 43 minutes of our movie, we want, we want like really want to fill you in. It's not a lecture, as you said, it's a, it's a lot of ups and downs and it's a journey story, but it's a story, but to come out of it going, Oh, all right, that's, I get it. So that the next time that you're at a restaurant maybe, and there's a family at the next table and their child is having, you know, a, a really bad day, maybe shouting or something like, or throwing food like my brother-in-law, um, rather than say, rather than ask the restaurant to eject them or or to stare angrily at the parents who you're thinking are bad parents, to kind of get, oh, oh, the kid's autistic and they probably don't get out very much. And I can roll with that. You know, let them have, I, I, I'll just speak a little bit more loudly to the person I'm sitting across from so I can hear over the kid, rather than make a big issue of it. That's the kind of granular, little, tiny interaction mm -hmm that we think our film encourages. And as Karen likes to say, it's not that hard to have the back of somebody who's different. We made the film to show people how, to, how that works. I, I was, love that. <laughs> I was telling Jen, um, I was in California over the summer. We were staying at a hotel and um, there was a, it was a camp arrived, I would say 30 or 40 teens and young adults with autism at the hotel and um, in the morning we were all down for breakfast and I my son got up to you know get some more oatmeal and this gentleman sat down with me because he saw an open seat and there weren't many so he came over he made a beeline and sat down with me and the entire I, I watched the whole restaurant kind of looking to see how I was going to react and he you know was on a device and had a name tag and I was like hey you know how are you what what's going on and um, he introduced himself. You know, his name was Matt. They were there for camp. They were going to Dave and Buster's that day. And um, then my son comes back and, you know, sits down, kind of, you know, this is Matt. Meet Matt. He's like, hey, Matt, what are you, what are you up to today? And it was so cool because every, I, could see, I could see people watching us, you know, and I could see that um, they kind of, Eased a little bit because we were so happy to be in contact with you, were you know, teaching with them. this with this new friend Matt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was um, it was fun um, to be to be there. And my husband said, um, "Do you feel like you're at work?" I said, "No, no. This is <laughs> this is good stuff. You know, this is exactly what what we all need to do in the community is is take those moments yeah. that aren't direct teaching and and model." the kind of, you know, sort of interaction and behavior. He, he wasn't looking to connect with us. He had an open seat, you know, and that's what he took. But he did give us a little information, mm -hmm. and it was, it was a lot of fun. We made a new friend. Yeah, Karen said on a talk we did the other day that well, our goal is for things like that, what you did, to not be special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, mm -hmm. that it's just every, it's just becomes, like, woven into our behavior. And, and I, I also think you mentioned your kids. I, I do think, and I said this on a stage the other day in answer to a question, I didn't realize I was going to say this, but it occurred to me that the younger generation, these Gen Zers, are way, way better than Absolutely. I'm a boomer uh, at, at, at rolling with difference. And mm -hmm. I'm, I kind of learned from my own kids about this. Um, and uh, so that's why in the big picture, we kind of think that the, um, the arc of justice is bending in the right direction. 
I like that. The arc of justice is bending. Yeah. And boomer. When you say boomer, I have to laugh because, you know, when did boomer become an insult? You know, I say something, my kids are like, oh, boomer. You know, I'm like, We're Gen first X. of all, I'm not. First of all. Secondly, <laughs> why is that bad? <laughs> Don't age me. Yeah. So we can't say enough amazing things about this film. It's really affected us, I think, pretty profoundly. How can anyone else watch it? Great question. Thank you. Let's get more eyes on this <laughs> December 13th on PBS. It's going to premiere. So we've, we've had awesome. uh, some private screenings, including with you, but the premiere is on the 13th, and we're, we're really, really excited, and the announcement is just a few weeks old. So trying to get the word out. Congratulations. That's fabulous. Absolutely. We'll do everything we can to support mm-hmm. um, to support that effort. I think, you know, we think so much of both of you and of, of um, you know, your creative work. And um, we just thank you so much mm-hmm. for what you're doing and for sharing a little bit of your time with us today. So we like to end every podcast with some real personal questions, even though you've been completely open and honest. <laughs> We've asked some personal questions. But if you'd be game, it's sort of like off the Proust questionnaire. Is that something you'd be okay with doing? Depends on the questions. <laughs> well, we're shaking it up with you guys because we love the way you work together. Mm-hmm. You, you're you're very funny together, I think. Um, and you know each other so well. So we're going to ask John's questions to Karen about John. So we're going to have you answer for each other. How's that? Now they're like, yeah, we'll do that. No problem. Are you in? Yeah. yeah. Be nice. So, John, we'll, we'll put you on the spot. We'll be I so nice. We're nothing but. <laughs> Um, okay so this is this is for John how many of these are there just so I can pace myself there's two each two each oh okay there's two each this is this is not hard hitting journalism folks (laughs) no we're not these aren't gotcha questions we we know who our audience is here we we can't run circles around you at all Um, so John tell us something about um, tell us something special about Karen that most people would not know she has an extremely high level of emotional intelligence. She can she can deliver bad news to people in a way that they don't know that the news is bad. She can share good news with people in a way that makes the person she's sharing the news with think that they did the good thing. And um, she has a very, very good sense of when people are feeling insecure and need bolstering and um i mean maybe this is something people do notice about her but it's it's to me it's sort of her most notable characteristic and her 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 greatest gift sounds like a superpower and she as (laughs) as lovely as that was and all true she i know that she just was like could i turn off the camera i don't want to hear it yeah (laughs) she also doesn't like the attention right okay let's put the attention on john karen what do you think is the ideal way for John to spend his day? What is his preferred activity? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think thinking and reading, and if he could do that lying flat. <laughs> <laughs> and not specifically on a beach or in a mountain or at a lake. Probably at Martha's, in Martha's Vineyard, I would say. Ah, uh, right. yes. Lovely but I'd like to ask, okay. answer the question that you asked him about me. Sure. Okay, that's fair. Because I feel like he's getting, he's not getting a good deal here at all. (laughs) (laughs) Shake it up. (laughs) Um, And it's actually the exact opposite of what John said about me, or maybe it's the same, which is I think that 
um, that people, at least in at least in our working relationship and the work we've done to, together, that um, that people see, and which is all accurate, that he's you know the intellectual and um, how smart he is and and is and is usually the smartest person in the room, um, but um, what they I. Th- think that you might not realize is that as smart as he is, is his heart is actually um, just as big, if not bigger. It's just, um, it doesn't gush all over you like I do, you know, in the same way. I'm glad we let her yeah. take that question. That was, a, that was a good one. That was a winner. So, okay, John, we've got one. Um, what is Karen's favorite or most used word? Or phrase. Yeah. We can expand it to mm-hmm. word or phrase. Well, one of them is wow, but another one is bummer. <laughs> um, Mickey has a good Mickey, Mickey so has it kind of, out. Mickey knows what my, my, my. <laughs> does it? All right. How would oh, Mickey answer? Is that a no, good that's idea? Mickey's, that's, that's Mickey. another one. Is that it? Uh, Mickey, uh, well, Mickey okay. is not cool. Mickey says that. Oh, I'm using mom's word. <laughs> okay. Not cool. Not cool. <laughs> yeah. I like it. You want to do the last one? Oh, well, John didn't really. <laughs> sure. Well, I guess um, no, that's the best I can do, Karen. Let okay. me off the hook here. Wow, bummer, not cool. <laughs> in that order. I yeah. like it in that order. Um, so, Karen, what can John um, not live one day without? Me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, that was a joke. Um, it could be simple. It could be a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. I don't want to answer for you. Or it could be reading something news related. I know the answer to this one. Ooh. Okay. okay. Cool. Feels like a test now. Yeah. Nine hours of sleep. Uh, nine. That's impressive. I, wow. I long for a day. How do you do? Nine is something that, yeah. That's How? <laughs> How do you shut off really the Ferris early. wheel? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I go to bed at 930, something like that. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Um, that's it. That wasn't too much of a hot seat for you guys. You answered them so well. Thanks for thanks for entertaining yeah. us that way and entertaining those questions. But um, I think Jen already said it, but we're really grateful for mm-hmm. your film and for both of you. And we're also really just um, happy to ca- count you as friends of ours and friends of Reed. So thank you well, so much. We feel the same. And, and thank you so Our much. Pleasure. For- Our pleasure. Our pleasure. For having us and for sharing our film with your community and everybody else. Okay, good. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay, bye, guys. Bye. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Changemakers in Autism. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Read Autism Services. Like, follow, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts.